<clears throat> what are we at? Day 96? Yes, we're 96. creeping up on 100. Oh, uh, it's almost done, guys. The nightmare is almost over. <laughs> At least that's the way they're making it sound. Uh, welcome back, guys. Uh, Bill, you want to in uh, introduce our guest? Sure. Uh, in addition to our normal uh, Nick and Phil and Bill, we have uh, my good friend and very bright... Uh, uh, Associate Professor of uh, Political Science at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, Joe Giamo. Uh, he is uh, specializes in American politics, uh, and he's the man who taught me that when you go out to a pizza place and get a calzone, you also get a slice of pizza. This was this was transformative for me. So why do you also get a slice of pizza? Because you can. It's probably the only thing anybody can. ever learned from me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so thanks for joining, Joe. This is great. Right. No, great to be here. Yeah. And if you see me squirming, it's because I've got a nine-week-old dog that That's uh, really wants to be part of the action. Yes. Uh, it's... Bring, bringing Joe on is, is part of our effort to combat the criticism that we're just a bunch of New England bros, right? <laughs> right. So we, we bring in an Arkansan. Ar right. Yeah. We, we, even though only one of us lives in New England, it help to bring in an Arkansan to help offset right. that image. So. I do what I can. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like we said, we're... Creeping up on on a hundred days in. This will be the last one we do before that happens. Correct. Right, because Saturday is a hundred days, so, so it's yes, causing lots <laughs> of reflection on uh, the state of the administration, success yeah. or not success. Uh, what do you guys think? Like a minus or like a like solid A? I'm gonna go with solid A, but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Phil, you always grade on a curve. What do you What do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I... I was thinking it right at that A B line. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I you, you say that, but I, I don't. I, I don't know. Maybe I have. Maybe I haven't thought through this enough. But I, I don't know that it's. Uh, I was gonna say that I don't think it's as bad as it, the first hundred days weren't as bad as I would have predicted. Yeah. It's, so maybe he's done better than I thought. But I, maybe I'm maybe I'm just not thinking through that. I don't I, I don't know. I think it's getting progressively less nightmarishly bad. If if that's <laughs> if that's a statement, yeah. <clears throat> it it does seem that both sides can create a narrative that they like. Right. So uh, those that are critical of Trump can find a whole host of things that he said he was going to do that hasn't been done. But Trump has a lot of executive orders, and he has some legislation, mean, so he can point to things as well. Right. So uh, I think probably both sides are, are feeling feeling somewhat good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's been a whole lot of movement between the two camps at this point. Everybody is still pretty much firmly where they were, yeah, uh, even after the, you know, um, international efforts on right. his part. Right, right. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't know. It's It's been it feels like it's been a lifetime mm -hmm. like we i feel like we've been talking about this forever 100 days i mean it's an artificial thing but it feels like way longer yes, it does yeah. yeah uh joe our our american politics expert what what what, what kind of grade <laughs> uh you know i think probably somewhere in the c range i mean in all, all seriousness i mean mm -hmm. i i think the thing to keep in mind is this is kind of the trial balloon presidency in a lot of ways you know throw out an idea see what happens revise it pretend it didn't happen or go with it depending on what the reaction is um and so i think there's kind of a lot of trial and error a lot of learning going on i think that <laughs> yes. you know in some ways that's encouraging he's not going to stick to something that falls completely flat um but if you want to say i know exactly what donald trump is going to do um you're probably in trouble <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I think it's um one of the uh somebody i was listening to was talking about it. 
it, it really depends on how you think about the Trump presidency. So if you grade him on sort of the scale or the standard that we typically think of when we're grading presidents, he hasn't done very well, right? Like he's done in terms of like, there has, you know, no major landmark legislation. Um, you know, the things that he sort of promised in his 100 day plan haven't necessarily come through. There's sort of chaos within the administration. But on a the, the argument that um, this person was making was that if you think of it in a, in a less concrete, sort of a larger uh, since Trump is sort of remaking or, or sort of shifting the way we think about politics and shifting the way we think about government and changing, you know, if you think about like, you know, norms and changing standards of, of behavior and how government functions, um, it may not be in ways that everyone is happy about. But in that sense, he has been fairly effective right and sort of and, and if if you go with like a steve bannon approach of like government is bad and and we need to rethink how we do government and burn it down and that sort of thing then maybe he's been really successful right like i mean if 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 that's what you want out of government that that could be you know maybe he does better than than a than a d or whatever sure <clears throat> i don't wait i mean what you, is that is that nonsense no <laughs> really, that, that makes perfect sense that? i mean regard- i vote nonsense <laughs> <laughs> I think regardless of what end you are on, on the political spectrum, what is pretty apparent from both sides is that up to this point, everyone was working under the assumption that the system was broken and there needs to be radical change to, uh, for uh, change for change sake at that point uh, in, in a lot of respects. And while I clearly don't think that he was successful in a lot of his, um, uh, ten pole positions and and um, initiatives that he's been trying, like this is, I, I mean, you you're seeing this this change in real time. Like we've never ever seen anything like this before, and that's terrifying for some people. And it's really encouraging and um, fun to watch the the people who are terrified. Um, so. And I still feel like the hundred days. It's obviously an artificial deadline or uh, right. date right but i will say it, it was part of his fault didn't he sign some contract saying he was going to do things by 100 days so he brought some of this on himself but it feels like he's just getting to the real test now yeah so north korea is the interesting case syria like what happens in those cases can he get tax reform through i mean two months from now we could be having a totally different conversation either good or bad when we actually have some real substance mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, think about if you go back to this point in Obama's presidency, you know, you, you still have the Affordable Care Act is just an idea. It's not, yeah. you know, anywhere close to being done. You go back to the Bush presidency at this point, it's before 9-11. Um, you know, you go back to the Clinton presidency at this point, you're talking about, you know, gays in the military. And right. You know, right. It, everything is looking pretty awful for him in terms of, you know, getting some traction and getting things done. You know, it's just... It, Whatever is going to define Trump's presidency just probably hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good point. Um, yes, yes. Uh, but it feels like something's coming. I feel like there's, whether it's North Korea and, uh, or, I mean, I don't think it's going to be Syria. I think the real test will be North Korea. I mean, uh, he's made a lot of big moves internationally yeah. in the past couple of weeks. And then just this week, halfway through this week, it's tax reform and what, uh, what else was there? Sanctuary cities, Sanctuary cities. And, um, which we'll talk Re- about. Obamacare is back on the. T- I mean, they're like moving, pushing forward on uh, Obamacare 
it's not repeal. It's, uh, yeah, adjustment. <laughs> it doesn't feel like there's some divide that the Trump camp is pushing this agenda and, and Paul Ryan is saying like, nah, no, 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 healthcare, no, not yet, not yet. Uh, it, it feels like there are mixed messages coming out on healthcare. Well, well, absolutely. And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, you've got people in the kind of more traditional wing of the Republican Party who got some formed of, you know, formed ideology that they were working off of. And, and Trump's clearly not, you know, I mean, I really would not be shocked by kind of any option on health care that came out of the White House, you know, from single payer down to no government involvement at all, you know. Anything can happen. I mean, that makes it very exciting, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was last week or the week before I was saying that. It's fascinating to watch as like this experiment play out, which, Nick, you were kind of hinting at as well. It's also terrifying in that it could go wrong in so many different ways. Uh, and part of me wants to see see this whole new model play out, and the other part of me says, please, you're not ready for North Korea. Can we have something just a little easier? Could there be a little kerfuffle with, like, Cuba or something, right? Something that, is, that would be safe, that, you know, Trump could get his feet wet on. Like, he's don't start. With, he's, do, he's dealing with Canada, right? right? right. He's going to take right. down right. those damn Canadians. Yes. It's like when you go on a roller coaster. Belgium's kind of problematic. <laughs> right. No, that's, uh, Belgium, Belgium would be great. That'd be. It's like when you go on a roller coaster. You don't start with the most scary, crazy roller coaster. You start with this, you know, the simple one. Yeah. If you're a pussy. You're right. Sure. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. I mean, do we want to go into some of the specific policy things that have happened this week? Sure. I don't remember yeah. any of them. Well, no, I mean, this is the flip side of the 100 days, right? So ha part of it's looking back, but part of it is it feels it feels to me, at least, like there's this race to get a whole bunch of stuff in or that Trump's feeling pressure to get some of these sort of landmark pieces of legislation through in his 100 days. So right. so just this week, yeah, we've got tax reform stuff that we could talk about, Obamacare um, uh, revision that we could talk about, um, NAFTA possibly today was on the table. I mean, there's there's lots of stuff. It seems like the big one this week is tax Tax reform, right? That, that should be yeah. an easy win, right? I mean, Joe, wouldn't this does if all the battles that he's going to pick, isn't tax reform the easiest thing to get through? Um, it, it should be. I mean, although what he came out with today doesn't really bear a lot of resemblance to the kind of real tax reform idea that's been talked about and that certainly had at least some bipartisan support. I mean, mm -hmm. kind of just seeing tax simplification in terms of uh, the rates and a lot of reductions, but so uh, I'm, I'm I'm going to interrupt you for a second. What so what what was the sort of proposed? What what when people talk about tax reform, they, they talked about it like a major overhaul, right? Something that hasn't happened in right. forty years. So I, what what would that look like? I mean, what was what were people I mean, thinking? You know, what people are really thinking about is kind of like the 1986 model, where you um, lower rates, but you reduce, um, you get rid of a lot of uh, tax deductions in the process and simplify things so that you know for a lot of people. Um, it might not actually change the amount of taxes that they're paying, but it would just be much more straightforward in terms of what they owe and uh, get rid of, you know, the ability for some people to basically get out of paying any taxes at all because all of those deductions disappear. Uh, and so, you know, what we saw today was was really much more, you know, was reducing the number of brackets, reducing um, the rate for corporate taxes, reducing the rate in these different, and, you know, it's certainly going to be popular with Republicans in general, but, you know, it's not the kind of tax reform that that Ryan was certainly looking for, uh, which, again, is much more about simplifying the tax code and making it much more predictable. 
I, I did see somebody, or one of the ideas that was floated today was the idea of doing away with essentially all um, or most tax credits other than like the mortgage credit and the child, some, the, there were, there were like two kind of key one or charitable, charitable uh, tax credit. That would be a, that would be a major shift if they yeah. did. I mean, that would be a major change. That would be huge. Yeah. I can't imagine yeah. they have support for that though. Do they? No, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, um, it, you know, I think probably if you think about, kind of, and this was kind of more of something people were talking about four years ago than, than now, but, you know, the idea that you set basically a cap on deductions and therefore you could leave whatever deductions people want to take, but once you hit that cap, you're done. And, you know, if that were set at $50,000 or $100,000, um, probably well above what anybody in the middle class was, would ever be deducting, then it doesn't matter if it's through charity, if it's through, you know, uh, real estate investment, whatever it might be, loss on your uh, your investments, whatever it might be, it's not going to make a, a difference that, you know, that's the most you can deduct. Even if there is some dissension within Republicans over what tax reform looks like, it's going to be different from healthcare, where they're still going to pass something, right? I mean, wouldn't it seem like even, I mean, on healthcare, I can understand why a moderate Republican and a, a further right Republican would, would say, like, we can't work something out. Mm -hmm. But at some point, won't all Republicans say, like, even if it's not ideal, like, let's get some tax, let's get a win here? I mean, it, that seems so, like it's just a, an easy one. I think we'll see something. I just think that what it ultimately looks like is going to be very different than anything that comes out of the White House yeah. you know, directly. This is something that's going to have to be a lot of negotiating on. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's easier, but I do still think, you know, fine, there'll be something on healthcare eventually as well. Again, there's just too much agreement, particularly in the base, that you have to do something. Um, and so I you think, think that there are some, some areas, well, and particularly if, you know, we continue to see um, insurance companies pulling out mm -hmm. um, and you start to see, you know, areas where you don't, you know, you don't have any choices on the exchange. Um, that's going to really increase the pressure to make some sort of change. Do you think that Republicans get can get something that will go through the Senate? Because the House, I get. Like, I think the House can get its act in order. They can. But is there something that can that can move through the Senate too in healthcare? Again, I think it's it's going to be if you get that deterioration that leads to a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, if if suddenly you can't buy health insurance through the exchange in your area. Then you're not going to be, you know, happy that your senator is defending, sure. you know, the current law. Yeah, that's right? interesting. There's certainly yeah. areas where that's moving more and more toward reality. So, yeah. you know, the other thing, you know, it has to do with what happens with premiums, right? If they go up pretty sharply, then that's. And the thing is, I mean, that's one thing that ultimately the Trump administration can affect by changing some of the um, policies that were decided at the executive branch level. Um, they can kind of hasten some of those issues rather than be trying to, you know, to solve them. Sure. Yeah. Well, the other thing is it feels like the Trump administration has been able to minimize some of the damage they were doing to themselves. So Trump is not out doing really terrible tweets. Uh, the Bannonites have been quieted. Uh, and, and so now we find ourselves talking about health care and tax reform, right? I mean, that, that's got to be some level of progress. When was the last time we had, we had a salient conversation yeah. about this? Yeah. He, he, I mean, he hasn't done a press conference in a while. Um, and, I mean, there was the whole thing yesterday where he wouldn't read the, oh, God. Uh, what was it, an executive order. He said, uh, uh, there's a lot of words. <laughs> I won't bother reading everything. But, other, I mean, that was still, by Trump standards, that was pretty... Pretty mild. We so got I, the sentiment. Yeah, I feel, you, I feel like they're, 
they're moderating things so they can get real substantive legislation done. Yeah, definitely. You you say that he's like calmed down on Twitter, but today he was ranting against the Ninth Circuit. He he was, was tweeting he? about the wall yesterday. Was it yesterday? In which he was uh, talking about. I'm trying to find it about how. Oh yeah, eventually, but at a later date, so we can get started early. Mexico will be paying in some form for the badly needed border wall. So, like, I mean, like, I think, I think he has improved. Like, but it's also that we're like getting used to it. That's true too. <laughs> to right, right, right. Like to what you were saying earlier, Phil. Like uh, this new political environment we're we're now accustomed to, and so like a mildly crazy tweet isn't as big as you know it was initially. Uh, well, I, I, it's just. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Shut up, Bill. It all just feels still, I mean, I, I think they, they are improving, like, but it still has this kind of feel of, I, I was, I'm going to say amateurish, even though that, that is, is maybe harsh. It, it's just, it's clear they're not, you know, these aren't, they're not government people, right? This is like a, which is partly what got Trump there. But, you know, it's just like... I don't know what they, they released a, a press release today in which they re- referred to Steve Mnuchin as the um, commerce secretary, right? Like he's the treasury secretary. Like it's just little stuff like that, that it just feels like they're, they're still kind of figuring out what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, what really is the difference between treasury and commerce? Come on. 99% of Americans would never have noticed that. Like, probably 99.9%. Well, and I think for, for if we look at appointments, like there's still just tons and tons of holes in the State Department, Defense Department. Uh, and I think that's a strategy by the Trump administration saying we don't feel like these positions need to be filled. That concerns me a bit because there is a lot of information that works its way up through the bureaucracy. Yeah, but that's also giving off the impression, at least probably to the base, that we don't need that amount of bureaucracy. Right. And everything is supposedly, quote unquote, running fine. Yeah. Well, Yes. But like I think about within the State Department, uh, those people are experts in various parts of the world, mm-hmm. and so when like Africa is just not addressed, and then something goes wrong there, mm-hmm. like you, you go to Steve Bannon, and right? I mean it's and I it's, I think it's a strategy that they're doing, but I think it, it potentially could backfire if there is a real crisis in some place where we want to have knowledge. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm at- Imagine if you had more professional, like more people, like to help out with these things. You, I mean, that, like if if you really want Trump to succeed, right? Like you don't want to cut the top off. You want to mm-hmm. cut some of the people out of the bottom and have that, you know, those appointment level positions filled so that you can actually more effectively, uh, you know, carry out your policy goals. It seems to me, but I, I don't, you know, I'm I'm not a person who's inherently opposed to government, so. Well, and the irony is, I mean, if you don't fill those appointed positions, then it's more the career people who are going to be filling the void. And so it's actually not people that are going to likely share his views um, right. or not likely provide him with the type of you know information that he might want right. who are going to be filling those roles. He's apparently very good at finding former military personnel to fill these positions. So <laughs> if there were just more generals, right, if we just had more generals. Well, and the other thing is, so I think Joe makes a good point. So you've got all these staffers who are looking to the appointed positions for some guidance, like what are, where, where should we be spending our time? And apparently that's not there. So a lot of them are going home early. It sounds like it's kind of a loose environment Summer now. Summer hours, man. Yeah, yeah, working for the government is good. <laughs> it's like a marketing agent. That's right. That's almost as good as being a professor. <laughs> uh, Let's not go crazy here. <laughs> um, so... 
I mean, kind of somewhat transitioning, but still yeah. in this in this scope. So there was a is it technically an injunction handed down on Trump's uh, sanctuary sanctuary city? city? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what I read is they were already trying to downplay what the actual executive order would call for. Um, saying that where the hell was it and now I lost it again shit um, Phil knows a lot about this <laughs> uh, oh there it is uh, so the the attorney from uh, the Justice Department and Homeland Security was stating that with this revised version that um, was given out that not all of the billions in funding local municipalities received from the federal government would be cut. It would just be specifically for smaller law enforcement funding. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to parse that down. But even that, the judge decided that it was um, too broad of a statement to actually well, the, let the, go forward. The ruling, the ruling in my, to me, it made it made sense. Like it seemed like a. It might be controversial in that you support his policies. It seemed like a fairly, in my mind, non-controversial ruling in that he, the, the ruling was essentially that Congress makes funding decisions, right? So the president can't single-handedly cut funding to these cities based on this, that he would have to have congressional involvement. And that, I don't know, that seemed like a fairly simple, like constitutional you know, branches of government type ruling, but I, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe, I'm not a constitutional, I'm not, you know, I'm Joe, not a legal Joe's laughing. <laughs> well, and wait, it's, wait, wait. I, I was just confused by the fact that we need Congress to make decisions again. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the case anymore. Well, and the, this yeah. is only a temporary injunction, right? He's, Correct. does it, does it stay with him and does he make a decision or does it move to a panel or... Uh, is well, there they a... can appeal. It depends on what they do, whether they appeal. Yeah. Um, and they could decide, you know, kind of like with the immigration ban, they could decide to pull it back and tweak the language and then go forward again, or they could decide to try to appeal just based on this particular version. Do you really Trump think... declared he'll see you and he'll see him at the Supreme Court. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, is he also, which is what he also declared after the immigration ban. Did he... Right. he did that for this one right. as well? Yeah. Oh, my God. He hates judges. God, he hates judges. <laughs> well, I mean, the Ninth Circuit, it's really hard yeah. to hate them. This is an interesting battle for him to pick. Um, I don't know politically if it's a savvy one. Uh, although the base would like this, right? I mean, this is this is one going out. Well, I don't think you can go wrong picking on the media or yeah. know, judges in the Ninth Circuit. I mean, <laughs> there's no down, you know, downside. That's a good point. Yeah, right? yeah. It's fertile ground. Yeah. Um, I mean... Yeah. What's the likelihood of a, a revised version of this getting through any time in the near future? I have no idea. Anyone comment? <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I mean, like, and like you said, I, I think the this is something that the base actually gets behind, mm -hmm. and you know, you have a what is perceived to be you know a, a, a separatist kind of mentality, especially. Yeah out west and even <clears throat> here, uh, near, well, we're near Chicago, but in Chicago and mm -hmm. places on the East Coast yeah. that um, doesn't necessarily reflect the views of a significant portion of the country. And there, I mean, what, what is, is there a significant legal backing where they 
could actually refuse to help law enforcement in in these situations. Not necessarily they would, you know, immediately have to turn over potential illegal immigrants, but or hold them for a specific amount of time. But like, where is where's the red line where they do have to cooperate with the federal government? Fucking killing. Yeah. Well, and the other. Go ahead, Bill. Law law enforcement stuff is largely left up to. I mean, this is part of the debate, right? Is that that law enforcement is not. I mean, these sorts of law enforcement issues are are not a federal. I mean, they're state level and local level issues, which is why cities are basically arguing that they have the right to do this. Like, if they don't want to enforce laws, they don't have to enforce laws. So, so it becomes it's not it's a separation of powers. It's not a separation of powers. It's a federalism issue yeah, again. Right. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that that yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I, yeah. What were you, Joe? Well, you were going to say something. You know, I mean, if you want to do it, the model is. You know, the blood alcohol content level, the drinking age, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Then you just tie funding directly to it in, lo- in legislation. And yeah. then you know, everybody knows this is what you have to do. And if you don't do it, you don't get it. I wonder if it even matters if it hap- if it if it like comes back again. Like if you're Trump, this is a win, right? You've yep. you've taken a stand on it. You've you've done an executive order. So not only do you get to say that you've done this and point to the executive order, but you also get to point to the stupid liberal judges and yep. and complain about that as well. Like it seems like you know I, I certainly if he really wants it to happen, then you know it's a loss and he wants it to come back to it. But if if you're thinking of it from like a political points type of type of angle then i you know i I think it's been a it's a success for him in that sense but already uh, with his base at least more more so than if he actually i I don't know if he wants to win this battle because he does if he cuts funding off then then the states really have to deal with this then it it blows up into a bigger issue i think you're right phil i think he wins this is great he's made the case he's argued about sanctuary cities he can call it a day um but then i mean that's only going to last so long like if he if these issues keep coming up and these are promises that he made to the base during the campaign and the 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 narrative is that well you know we tried look at what we did and they just keep blocking it at what point do do republicans start going okay well when are you going to deliver on any of this stuff well but they hate they hate liberal judges though right i mean he can always he can always point to the liberal judges and say yeah I think you're right, Nick, but I don't know that sanctuary cities are that issue. Like, I don't know that I don't most think that Trump either. voters. I mean, I think they care, but I like I, I think he has to do something with, you know, the big ones are Obamacare and the wall and that sort of thing. I don't know that sanctuary city like it seems like it's a good way to score some points and push this through. But I don't know that it's worth wasting a whole lot of if I'm a Trump, if I'm an advisor to Trump, I don't know that I would tell him to to waste a whole lot of energy on this particular issue. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. The only caveat that I have with that is it seems like if you're trying to determine an issue where you can actually be effective, I feel like getting another sovereign country to pay for a wall to block them off from our country is going to be significantly harder than... Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> right. I, and so, you know, where where's the win in this? Belgium. Belgium. Right. Belgium. Joe is right. We right. gotta go we Belgium. To we gotta go Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the other way to think of it is if if Trump fails on the wall, is succeeding on sanctuary cities really gonna save him? Right? Whereas if you fail on sanctuary cities and succeed on the wall, it's you know, who who gives a damn? But uh, I don't I don't know that sanctuary cities issue is a big enough issue. 
like if, if you were a, a diehard Trump voter because of the wall, right? Like, I don't think you would end up feeling like, oh, we didn't get the wall, but you know, hey, we got sanctuary cities. No, uh, but I mean, a lot of Trump voters are are supporters because of his stance on illegal immigration. Yeah. So I, I yep. mean, I, I don't know which of those two issues is going to be the the bigger mm -hmm. catalyst for right. for. Moving I mean, I think the the building of the wall kind of solves the problem for him on the on that. I mean, if the payment issue is one that you can talk around in many different ways, and you say, you know, in this very indirect, convoluted way, Mexico is paying for the wall. Right. You know? yeah. They don't realize it, but, you know, all those tourists they're sending over here, <laughs> right. and that's paying for the wall. Yes. Uh, you come up with something. You know, like a margarita right. tax or something, right? You know, oh, yeah. Oh, it's just racist, Bill. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, there's the Mexican audience? Yeah. Oh, so, on the, uh, sort of related to the wall, on the flip side, right, we're now launching a, a, a trade war with Canada over... over Dairy, yes. cheese, or some cheese, timber. Wisconsin, was timber, timber, and milk and, and cheese. Milk. Yes, yeah. yeah. And apparently, Wisconsin is now a border state as well. Right. So <laughs> Michigan's I... gotten the boot or something. I don't know. But... As a as a good Wisconsinite, uh, and I was back in Wisconsin this weekend. I will say, like Wisconsin is pissed off at Canada right now. It yeah. is. Yeah. There's a lot of anger. Uh, this issue of why Canada won't take our milk um, is it's a it's a real deal, and. When you break down the nuts and bolts of it, I kind of understand Canada's position, but th that doesn't matter, right? I mean, Trump can't, you know, he's got to fight for the, you know, Wisconsin dairy farmers and, yeah, yeah, what, cheese curds. What, I, I gotta what, say, I have Wisconsin in that fight with Canada. I really do. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe I don't maybe I don't want to ask this question, but you sympathize with Canada? Is that what you said, yes, or with yes. Wisconsin? Well, what, like, what, I don't, what is the issue? I don't even understand what the issue is. Like, I, I it's not that I don't understand it. I've read nothing about it. I don't know what what's the complaint. It is. It's one of those issues where if if we've explained it in full detail, we would lose all <laughs> listeners for all eternity. Something about subsidies yes, yes. and and I don't know. And long story short, Canada's like, hey, you've been screwing us for a long time. If you don't change things, we're not taking Wisconsin milk anymore, right? And we're all like, no, that's terrible. <laughs> you know. So wait, bottom line, Bill, is this going to affect the price of cheese in New Hampshire? <laughs> uh, no, I think New Hampshire cheese right. will be all right. I don't care. With, I don't care. Wisconsin milk and cheese may go up, but I think the beer is all right. At the end of the day, that's all it that really that's matters. That's all that you yeah. need. You'll forget yeah. about the cheese. Right. What I took from your description, Bill, was that communists, you know, from in other countries are refusing to do business with us. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. And I will say, watching when I was up in Milwaukee this last weekend, watching the news of this dispute was so awful. It was like these Canadians are just screwing us. You know. And it's like, there was no discussion of the actual issues at play and, and how to resolve it. It was just like Wisconsin farmers are going out of business. So, well, it's, yeah, I, it's weird. It's ahead, weird Paul. to have like American nationalism and patriotism kick in in like a fight against Canada. It's so bizarre. <laughs> it is. It's, it's what bizarre. I, what we need to do is make a giant butter sculpture and get Canada to pay for it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Problem solved. Right. And delicious. Oh. What were you saying, Nick? I cut you off. Sorry. Uh, so I, we, yeah, we talked about the cheese and the dairy thing. So then Trump's response to that was creating what was it a, a twenty percent tariff on something on Canadian timber imports? Yeah, that was his yep. response. And again, picking a fight 
So he's picked fights with both Canada and Mexico. Uh, Phil mentioned that the, the rumor today was that potentially the... I, I don't know how legitimate this is. The United States is rethinking whether it's going to stay in NAFTA. Um, picking fights with Canada and Mexico, is it's not a good idea. No, it's really not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are other people you can pick fights with, but... Um, well, and this is the thing. Like, there needed to be some sort of discussion and revamping and retooling and whatnot. This is probably just not the best vessel to do that. What drives me absolutely nuts is that the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, did that! Like, and again, we're losing listeners as I keep continuing to talk, but... No, um, I'm interested now. Yeah, like, that, that addressed some of the concerns specifically with, with Mexico and some with Canada in terms of all of that, but it both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, there was, like, this movement against it, and so it feels like any kind of reasonable legislation is thrown to the side, and then we do this stuff where, like, cheese curds can't be sold in Canada anymore. I mean, it's just... It's just sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Sad. Well, I mean, it, it's this. This is the like what we're seeing around the world is this backlash against globalism, right? Yeah. Against this idea of of you know trade in general and like wanting to go back to the good old days of you know American made product. It, it's easy to be critical of trade in this grand sense, and when you see jobs being you know factories being shut down or whatever, and all your products are made in China. Um, you see the sort of negatives of trade without seeing the positives. You don't recognize all the ways that right. we benefit from trade in the same way that you do um, critique it. But I mean, this is the same. This is what was happening. This is what's happening in Britain and in France yeah. and in, you right. know all over Germany, all over the world. This is the this is the backlash that's occurring. Can we can we transition, please? All right. So I I want to either talk French elections, Bill O'Reilly, or Arkansas oh. executing lots of people. Oh, speaking of the good old days, you guys pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just mentioned France. We might as well. Yeah, that's, all right. that's a good segue. All right. So the the French elections as uh, a, a quick summary. They there's two stages to the French elections. Uh, the first stage, which just happened last week, there were eleven candidates, and they uh, dwindled that down to two. Uh, Marine Le Pen, the far right candidate, and uh, Macron. I can't, what's his first name? I Emmanuel, I think. Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron. That sounds right. That's a good first name. Emmanuel Macron, who is a uh, uh, slightly left of center, but not. Yeah. Uh, not I wouldn't say like far left. Uh, but he's a big supporter of the EU and right, globalization. Right. Exactly. He's yeah pro free trade, pro EU, pro globalization against Le Pen, anti all of that. Right. Uh, the idea that she has said she would pull. Uh, France out of the EU and potentially out of NATO. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that's a big deal. Um, so and, and then we'll see what happens on May seventh. That's the second round of the elections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that nothing about the the first round wasn't. I mean, in a grand scheme, the I don't know how much listeners care about French elections, but uh, the, the first it's round better, was not. It's better than tax policy and and, and, cheese, and cheese in Canada. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> This is the least sexy episode ever. Yes. <laughs> oh, that shingles one was up there. <laughs> so, I, from a like in a in the short term perspective, the, there was nothing that was all that surprising about the first round of the. So the French do this two round system. It's actually kind of smart. They have the first round. The top two vote getters have a runoff two weeks later. So, we'll have this runoff coming up soon. It feels, um, like, feels like communism. I don't know. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> so, not not all that surprising in that these two Marine Le Pen was 
polling second. Most people thought she might she was going to make the runoff. It was unclear who she was going to be against, but Macron was made made sense. Um, from a bigger perspective, this is pretty huge because neither one of them are from a ma major parties. It's, this right. would be like having a presidential election come down to two people who were. It would be like having a presidential election coming down to the libertarian versus the green candidate. Like yes. mm -hmm. neither one of these are major party candidates. I mean, this is part of that again, sort of the populism, the sort of anti-establishment stuff that has been going on all over the world. And so um, it was partly, I mean, the French, current French president is incredibly unpopular. Um, they the, call him you know, Flamby. Call him what? They call him Flamby. <laughs> Flamby? Which is like a pudding, like, the, like he's pudding. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that you're mispronouncing that French word. <laughs> Flamby. <laughs> Are you talking about, like, flambe? No, no. Um, flambe. Fl flambe? <laughs> so, um, There's uh, not Gumby? Yes, yes. <laughs> Phil, I seem to have distracted you. Yeah. Well, it'll be, it'll be, so it'll be really interesting to see how... So Marine Le Pen is... I mean, she's... If, like, if Trump is to the right or sort of a non-traditional candidate, Marine Le Pen is, like... I mean, she's way out there, right? Oh, yeah. She's not, it's not even really fair to compare her to Trump, right? Trump is very mainstream compared to Marine Le Pen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, she did remarkably well. I don't, she ended up with 23%, something like that. Um, so her father founded this national front. He, he was the original sort of far right guy in France. He really hated Jews. <laughs> She has reformed the party because she really hates Muslims. They've actually, I think, even butted heads, she and her father, right. about whether Jews or Muslims are worse. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, that's the sort of party we're dealing with here. But um, so her father made a runoff, made the runoff in 2002, um, just barely edging out one of the two major party candidates, and he was destroyed in the runoff. Mm -hmm. um, he ended up with you know 18. It was like 18 percent to 82 percent. Every indication shows that Marine Le Pen is going to do better than that. She's polling, at, you know, it's more like 35% she's polling right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, it looks likely she will lose and Macron will become the new president of France. But um, I think people, people who are like opposed to this sort of populist kind of anti-immigrant movement will chalk this up as a success when she, if she loses, there's no guarantee that she's going to lose, but if she loses... But that's kind of the wrong thing to do because she's doing, I mean, she's polling incredibly well. The polls are that she's polling like between 30 and 40% in this presidential runoff in France, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very indicative of this broader pushback against, again, against globaliz globalization, against trade, against international organizations, against immigration, all of this stuff. It feels like we're ready to fall. I mean, so I remember saying, "No way Brexit passes. No way the great, you know, Great Britain yeah. pulls out of the mm -hmm. EU. There's no way Donald Trump wins." Right? It feels like it's the third domino to fall. Yeah, and it may not, but in some ways, it doesn't matter. The other dynamic for me, which is really, really interesting, is that Russia is now engaging in this. So Russia is apparently diving and trying to break into the email system of Macron. Macron um, and there's there's probably skeletons there, so this will be a fun they started, week. They've started spreading a story um, that he is sleeping with his wife's daughter. 
That's a good one. So he's married yeah. to he's married to an older woman, I think, who was his teacher. Teacher, his high um, high school or yeah, high school yeah. teacher. So there's yeah. there's there's some room for some uh, storytelling. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's it's it'll be. I mean, it's very much kind of following a similar path to other things. We it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, even the media over there and and members of the government are going. You know, we expect Macron to win, but you know, let's not really put all yeah. our eggs in that basket just because of what's happened here. Yeah. And it's it's such a, a different dynamic than what we've yeah. ever seen, especially in Europe. Well, that's right. And Macron is not a seasoned politician. He's new. He's he's very green in terms of his ability to debate. He's a terrible debater. Mm-hmm. So if he's got some skeletons, he's got to do some interviews. He might be pressed in the next couple of weeks. I think this could shift in a way where Le Pen maybe not wins, but definitely makes it close. And that's well, that's even, huge. The night of the election, I guess. So the, the night of the election, the election results came out. Le Pen went and had like this victory rally in which she was, you know, uh, celebrating and surrounded by like working class people. And Macron went with like friends out to dinner at like a French bistro where they were drinking champagne and stuff. Oh, and it like made this like it was this really interesting contrast, right? Because, and she's she's pulling really well with the working class of of France. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's there's no guarantee. Now, what's a little different is because they have a multi-party system, it sort of allows this. But every other party has basically come around to say you cannot vote in Marine Le Pen, right? Like. The socialists, the conservatives, everyone is saying that, the, you know, the, the thing to do here is vote for Macron. But it'll be interesting to see if that actually, if that happens. Stupid socialists yeah. ruin everything. And if that, you know, if that helps or hurts in some ways. Right. I mean, because part of what you're seeing here is, you know, it's, it's a backlash against people who, you know, by people who feel like their concerns are being marginalized by elites, their beliefs are being denigrated by, by elites. Mm-hmm. And so then have elites come and say, no, no, don't vote for that person. Right. might actually cause you to say, well, maybe I should consider her. Mm. And when you see the map, uh, the breakdown of like voting in the first round in France, it looks very similar to the United States, where you have these urban centers voting one way and rural areas voting an entirely different way for Le Pen. And so, I, you know, if I was betting, I would still bet, bet on Macron. But I would have bet on Brexit not passing and on Clinton winning. So um, don't, don't follow my bets, Barker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, we waited, Nick. Can I talk about the Arkansas elections? Executions, executions, yes. Yeah, go to town. All right, so so we have an an Arkansan, an Arkansas expert here on the show, and I think we should discuss this uh, recent movement of Arkansas uh, moving to execute. 11 inmates. Is it 11 days, Joe, or have they changed that? Eight inmates in 11 days was the... Eight, okay, in 11 days. Because the uh, lethal injection drugs will expire after a certain date, right? Right. And right. the companies will no longer sell them the drugs. The drug companies are suing the state of Arkansas. Is that right? Right. They're trying to get them not to use it because they don't want to be associated with it. And they are. So they're arguing in court that this is taking away from other uses, uh, other medicinal uses that, you know, they're much happier to be associated with. So so Arkansas has been doing a couple nights ago. They did uh, a back to back execution, Mm -hmm. which was the first time it had happened in what, like 20 years, 2002 or something like that. Something. Yeah. Yeah. 
Probably in Texas, right, Phil? Oh, I'm sure. They just line (laughs) them up in Texas. Line them up and knock them down. Well, but no, but I mean, that's (laughs) that's what's interesting about all of this is that Texas, even Texas doesn't do this. And so I'm curious, Joe, what's the the sense on the ground in Arkansas? Are people talking about this? Is this a big deal? It's getting national attention. Oh, it's it's certainly getting a lot of attention, but, you know, it's... It's the kind of thing where there is a very small, very animated group that's opposed to it and a much larger group that, you know, probably is completely nonplussed by the, the situation. Yeah, so, sure. um, you know, you see a, a, a lot of protesters, but, you know, that may be everybody who's opposed to it in the state that's showing up at that rally, you know, with a couple <laughs> of thousand people. And then they're feeling like, you know, wow, we really organized. There's a lot of us, but there's a lot of people out there who are just not really that concerned about it. So, so Asa Hutchinson, the governor, do you feel, is he under any political pressure to change this? Or do you think because of this, he's just going to plow ahead? No, I don't think there's any, you know, political downside for him to push this through. I mean, if anything, he's probably been seen as a little bit too moderate (laughs) in a lot of ways. And so, you know, this is certainly a way to, to make an argument that that's not the case. So. That's great that moderation is like 8 and 11 days. Like, come on, Asa. <laughs> Why 11? Why not 9? <laughs> you can do better than right. that. Yeah. Um, well, I just mean in general, not specifically on the death penalty. Right, right. Yeah. No, and I think he's he's, he's well liked down there, right? I mean, he's, he's got a lot of popular oh, yeah. support. Yeah. yeah he's got a great. Death penalty is incredibly popular in in large chunks of the country, right? Like, I don't. I, it, this is having lived in Texas most of my life, right? Like it's just a, it's taken for granted, right? Like this is what you do to bad people, and it's not. It's not. I, I think to much of the rest of the country, it's puzzling, but uh, or not to much to lar- to parts of the rest of the country, yeah. it's puzzling. But in the in the South, it's not. Or it's not even just in the South. I think even in places in the West, to some extent. It's just a non-issue, right? Like it's it's um, it's part of that sort of gap or divide that has emerged in in the U.S. to some extent, and that you have really kind of pretty distinct political cultures that have emerged in different parts of the country. But on this issue, even though there is that divide, that may not decide what happen what what happens ultimately, because if the drug companies are unwilling to sell this to states who want to continue to have the to have capital punishment. Their options are to go back to firing squads. I was just going to say right. firing squads. Yeah, right. Or or the Arkansas, you can still choose the electric chair, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think you can still choose hanging as well if you want to. <laughs> so so you know. this this leaves states in a really I awkward position. What's that? Me. I said I would choose old age, but that's just me. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, so I, the inter- I, it's it's sort of an interesting. Th- I mean, I, I suppose I, that's why I brought it up, Parker. It's very interesting. <laughs> no, it is. It is for sure. No, I'm thinking about like if I'm on death row, what do I choose? Because I mean, part of the critique or the question about these drugs that are being used um, is, is part of it is that the companies don't want it used. The companies who are making it, states have started like resorting to like veterinarian drugs, veter- like veterinary drugs and stuff. In in some cases, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, no. <laughs> But I think part of the debate with this drug that's also being used in Arkansas, or my understanding, is that it's the sedative, I think, right? So there's it's a multiple drug process, right? Right. And this is the sedative. And there has been some question about whether it actually, like, stops the pain or, like, if it's effective at what it's supposed to be doing. Because there have been cases of people who have been on this drug and have apparently shown signs of distress in the process. So 
I don't know. If, if you tell me I'm going to be killed tonight and I have the choice of a drug that may or may not dull like an excruciating process or just shooting me, I might choose the shooting. <laughs> now, <laughs> I, the other option is to say that I want the drugs. Like I want the the sort of the the whatever the the medicinal approach. Um, knowing that they state can't get the drugs, right? And then that's, that's how I'm yeah. going to choose it. They can get bullets. They can't get the drugs. Do, do they get to choose their method of execution? In some states they do. In okay. some states the the, the, yeah. the the condemned can choose how they want to die. Yeah. Well, Dumb. So, so this last weekend on 60 Minutes, and this is where I am on Sundays. I'm watching 60 Minutes, right? Obviously. Uh, they had this guy, this conservative judge from the Ninth Circuit... Uh, talking about all of what's going on in Arkansas, but in general the death penalty. And his argument was, we should go back to firing squads or the guillotine because it's effective. <laughs> well, which, I, again, I, I'm not comfortable with any of this, Nick. But, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but, you know, that, that it's, we, we convince ourselves that with lethal injection that this is Oh, it's a passive way. There's no, but the reality is it's not. And so let's, if it's violent, let's make it violent and not be ashamed about that. There, there is a really interesting ethical argument that essentially that that uh, we have like by doing this sort of humane um, uh, form of of lethal injection that it it creates a. <laughs> you're <laughs> You're being totally inappropriate <laughs> for the subject that I'm trying to talk about here. <laughs> that, yeah, it totally removes us from what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's that, that we are killing people, and if we're going to kill people, we need to be okay with killing people. And I, right. I've heard I, um, somebody a few years ago made it made a similar argument, a, a sort of an ethical argument that um, firing squads. It's obvious what is happening. The people who are doing it, the the officers of the law who are carrying out the execution, have to be like brutally aware of what they're doing. They're facing what they're doing, and everyone involved has to essentially come to grips and and sort of deal with the fact that this is they're killing a person and really figure out if they're okay with that. Whereas this other way of doing it is humane, but it's also very sort of abstract in kind of weird ways. We convince ourselves that it's peaceful and there's no pain and no harm. All right, so all of that. Yeah. Hollywood's already solved this. We have Death Race. We have the Hunger Games. Like we could have all these great ways for people to die and make it entertaining, but it's still going to be brutal. I'm just going to put that out there. Just, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree, Nick, <laughs> and suggest if our gladiatorial so, combat. I'm sorry. If 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 we run into a problem where we find the drugs are not working we shouldn't go back to guillotines or hunger games and maybe we should rethink like the rest of the world's capital punishment and and follow joe's idea of old age no no i feel right no it is, it is sorry that we are we are one of a handful of countries left that still execute people there aren't uh, that, many that left. list that list is like oh, a what about what about bacon instead just feed them nothing but bacon. Oh, until they die That's of not a terrible high cholesterol. Idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. all right. It takes a little longer, but I would take that over the guillotine. Isn't that like <laughs> the seventh circle of hell or something? <laughs> this this raises the ethical question of whether we should be killing pigs for the those on death row. Yeah, that's that's, that's a second level question there. Ben. Well, I mean, and, and bacon is delicious. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, th this is the issue that I have with it. I'm not a huge proponent uh, proponent of the death yeah. penalty, but at the same time, 
we try to make ourselves out to be better than the rest of the world. Yes. And, you know, you look at countries like Burma or China or North Korea yeah. or, you know, take your pick Iran, in, in Western yeah. Africa or yeah. something like that. And we, like, it's, it's such a, it's realistically a non-issue here. When you think about the scope of the massive amount and creative ways of, of, of killing people that is, that's going on around the world. And, and I know, you know, we, we're supposed to be above that, but... Yes, Nick. At some point, <laughs> you just don't, I just don't want those people to be so around Wait, wait, wait. Are you, are you arguing for or against it? No, I'm arguing I'm, against I'm it. what you're doing. No, I'm arguing against it. No, but I, not okay. passionately. Not passionately. <laughs> I'm very subdued about it. No, like, it's... We, we have these very lofty, you know, uh, again, academic debates about this, and... Yeah, what's going on right now is is pretty fucked up um, with with Arkansas and whatnot. But in the grand scheme of things, like this is something that goes on on a daily basis, and we just don't talk about it. Right. And and, and when it does come up in our you know particular corner of the world, we get up in arms about it. But we don't get up in arms about it when no, no, it's people are you know. Killed in droves and thrown in a mass grave. The State Department used to when they were like had people working there. They would they would do no, they reports now. Yeah, they didn't do that. They funded a lot of the warlords who did for, that. For me, there's there's two things. One, the cost of the death penalty is expensive. All legal, you know, if you stick somebody in jail for their life, it's less expensive than if you execute them with all the legal appeals and whatnot. Sold, done. Yeah. The other issue is. If you're going to do the death penalty, you can't be wrong, right? You can't execute an innocent person. That's the other thing. And I think we've done that. Yeah, I, I right. heard, uh, I was listening to uh, to, uh, to NPR, because oh. that's what I do. Oh, it's nice, Nick. Um, See, you're coming to the dark side. Yeah, no, but it, it hurts sometimes. It physically hurts me. Um, and especially with these executions, you learn about the backstory, and there's no appeals process. There's no one actually looking into the particular or, um, yeah. um, details of the case up until two weeks before the execution happens. And that's wrong. Right. If the counter to that is, if there is a, a workable process and, you know, all of the sure. ins and outs have, have been vetted, hey, yeah, you got to get rid of the guy. Sorry. Well, and so the cases in Arkansas, I was reading through some of those stories, and the guys that they, they executed a couple of days ago, they were there, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room in those, their cases, right? I mean, it sounded like those were pretty clear-cut cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a pretty yeah. can. Um, well, the one that's, a, you know, next, it also it's fairly clear-cut. I mean, the, the, yeah. you know, I mean, he's confessed to the, you know, the, the second murder, which is the one that got him the death penalty. Yeah. Um, so, so are they are they are they going to be six? Are they going to get through all eight? Like, they won't get through all eight. I mean, some of them have already been put off, and and you know it'll it'll be past the date the expiration on the the drugs by the time there's any resolution. So they'll have to have a, a different plan. If it's it's, re forward, it's <laughs> remarkable that in all of the, like the nuances and shades of gray, the thing that is absolutely black and white in this issue is the expiration. Yes, yes, We're just going yes. to stay over. Right. Like with milk, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, it's two days ago. But like with these drugs, I like, can't do it. Can't do it. So, so Joe, do you think, so you talked about like an alternative plan. Will that be just to keep him in jail? Or do you think Arkansas will, will they try to get, more of different drugs, or do you think will they go back to some other alternative? I, I mean, think the, 
There'll certainly be an attempt to find other drugs. I don't. Yeah. I don't know enough about those specifics to know how likely that is. Or how can you, know, you not be a company right now thinking? We make chemicals. We could probably do right. something. No, like there's that. no money to fill the gap. No, there's not enough executions in the United States to make money. <laughs> Other than Texas, there could be. <laughs> uh, so if we want to be humane. You say you're saying we need more executions. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was apparent to everyone. Is that just me? Okay. Um, oh. Do you want to talk about beers? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's time to talk beers. Yeah. yeah. Joe, as our guest, do you want to start by uh, talking about your beers? Sure. Well, you know, I don't know how much detail you go into, but... Uh, Not much. Not much. <laughs> Name yeah. and flavor. So there's a, a local brewery called Lost 40 that's uh, pretty new in Little Rock, part of the kind of surprisingly good beer scene that showed up. So they've got a, a Bach, um, and then, you know, as I said before, the appropriately named Day Drinker, um, which nice. I think, you know, everybody needs to have uh, on hand, so... Wonderful. And, you know, much better than the beer that was here when Bill was here. Yes, yes. When I was in Arkansas, there were no microbrews. Well, actually, beer everywhere was lousy when I was in Arkansas. So, um, Phil. Everywhere? Everywhere. <laughs> in the whole world. In the whole world. No good beer. <laughs> it was a bleak few years. Yes. So, my first beer tonight was uh, a Lagunitas Born Again Yesterday. Oh, that's a good Unfiltered one. Unfiltered ale. It was good. Yeah. Um, it was, it's not called an IPA on here, but uh, that's what it reminds, very hoppy, but sort of, uh, pretty refreshing too. I, I, I liked that a lot. It was good. Um, the second one I had is a German beer and I don't actually, I'm trying to figure out, it's a Rothaus Pils Tannenzapfel. Um, uh, the original beer from Germany's Black Forest, it says, uh, uh, it was good. Um, it was light. It was sort of. It, it remind I don't the the name, uh, tannin zapfel. I don't think means apple. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but it had sort of an appley, sort of like a. It was kind of a, a fruity, um, real kind of light beer. Uh, it was nice. It was good. I, I think in the middle of a summer day, it would probably taste pretty good. Following the sort of hoppier IPA, it was a little. I don't know, a little too light for me, but, um, but yeah, I'll probably try it again. So I was back on, I was up in Wisconsin, so I picked up a bunch of Wisconsin beers. Uh, the first one I had was a Glacial Trail. It's an IPA from Central Waters Brewing, which is brewed in Amherst, Wisconsin. Uh, and it was, it was a nice, like solid, good IPA. I really enjoyed it. Uh, a little lighter than a normal IPA. Uh, very, very tasty. Can, can you say some German words now? Guten Tag. <laughs> So, Guggentag. Did we get that? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so, my second beer, with there'll be some maybe more German, was a Leinenkugel um, canoe paddler. So, Martha Stolze, who's a listener of the podcast, uh, recommended this a while back, and uh, it was actually it was a really good beer. I liked it. It's I would say you know similar to you what you said, Phil, a nice summer beer. Uh, I could see this drinking this out on the porch, enjoyed it uh, very much. And then for, I just started, I, I figured I should have a third beer. Obviously. So uh, I had another Noon Whistle, um, a uh, red ale. Love, love Noon Whistle. Definitely. Noon good. Whistle, sponsor us, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I tried to find different ones this week. So I had a Dekine Tropical Ale from Four Hands Brewing out of St. Louis. 
uh, ale brewed with honey, pineapple, and zest, and it was delicious. <laughs> um, the zest. Yeah, so it's been it's been really nice out here, so I wanted to find something kind of light and summery. This was awesome. Because you can easily see picking up. If they had a case of that, Is, I would get yeah. it. Isn't Dekine like a like a backpack manufacturer or something? I, I don't know, Phil. I don't ask those kinds of questions. <laughs> those backpack people, people make great beer, though. Either, so. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, definitely, definitely pick that up. Uh, one from Solemn Oath, which was a new one that I had seen around and haven't had a chance to taste. Uh, their Old Faith Horn? I guess is what that says. It's a pale ale. This it is might somebody be... having trouble reading the cans this week. <laughs> I'm just I'm having a hard time <laughs> pronouncing it. Um, it might be the best beer I've had from them. Really, it's really drinkable and light. Um, it's not heavy on the hops. Um, like that has I was kind of wavering on the, on them a little yeah. bit. Um, but but they're close one... by, so you know yeah. I just go back anyways, like an what addict. Was... What was that one again? That was uh, from Solemn Oath Brewery. Uh, it's an Old Faith Horn. It's a red can. It looks delicious. Yeah. It's got a bird. It's like a Coke. It does kind of look like a Coke. It has a deer on it and something. Anyways, it was really, really good. I highly recommend that. And then the last one I had, which the can is so nice. That's a really cool can. Yeah. Uh, from Beguile Brewing. Uh, it was a Beguile Blonde, American Blonde Ale brewed with honey. Uh, another kind of nice, light, easily drinkable thing, which is great because I had like half a pizza before starting this. <laughs> mm, pizza. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, highly. Re- it almost tastes like kind of a, a, a lighter kind of mead thing, if you're into mead. Mm. You know, if I know anything like about Phil Barker, century. Yeah. he's into mead beers and sour beers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> Again, highly recommend that. Uh, quick plug, I was remiss in doing this last week. If you're looking for a gift that uh, figuratively uh, doesn't suck, but uh, literally sucks, uh, go to giftsthatsuck.com, who is our, our um, who is the sponsor of uh, Barstool Politics. Uh, they create uh, wine bottle-sized straws with tags attached to them for special occasions. Uh, find something for... Birthdays, holidays, bachelorette parties, weddings, new jobs, Fourth uh, of July. That's a holiday. Mo- I don't know why I said that. What's that? Mother's Day is only two and a half weeks away. You could order now, and it would be there in time. Yes, oh, this you is... literally could do that. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, French elections. French elections. Oh. You can be an elitist and just drink out of a bottle of wine, but have it be a little bit more American and drink the entire thing out of a straw. That's totally French. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, <laughs> again, go to giftsetsuck.com, uh, at giftsetsuck on Facebook, uh, and yeah, check it out. They have lots of different varieties, so thank you for the support. We yeah. appreciate that. Uh, any other topics? Do we, we want to briefly cover? talk about the, the the unfortunate event that happened to Bill O'Reilly? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> All right. You want to, do you want to start, Nick? It's uh, no, I don't want to start. Okay. I, like I, I don't want to be the catalyst for this one. I, I, should I? I should be so lucky that something so unfortunate would happen to me. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like I I condone sexual harassment, 
But the man got like a $25 million payout for yeah. this, right? He like, he the, the Fox News paid like five women $13 million. He gets fired <laughs> and takes home a $25 million paycheck. Here's the thing that's, that's not getting reported on. So when his last cut will not uh, expired, but there was a clause, at least in my understanding, that if Roger Ailes left or um, departed, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they had to pay out his current contract and then start a new contract. So he's probably coming away with somewhere between, I don't know, 50 and $100 million. You think O'Reilly is? Yeah. Oof. That does offer a different perspective <laughs> on all of this. Um. Well, I was thinking about it in, a, in kind of a different way in, in context of you know ESPN axing everybody that yeah. ever worked for them today. Um, oh, wait, does that, that happen? Yeah, they fired 100 yeah, they, people they today. Whoa. 100 people. And, but, you know, it, it just seems like if I were any kind of, you know, cable television station, looking at, you know, all the expense that comes from a Bill O'Reilly – Looking at you know ESPN basically saying we don't have enough money to pay all these people we we got to downsize basically get less expensive, I, you know I don't know that we're gonna see that one person you know making that much money on a cable show, in the future I mean I think that it's the the idea is gonna be go with somebody relatively new relatively unknown you can pay very little, and you know if they demand too much get rid of them and get somebody else because you're just fighting over a tiny share of the market anyway so especially given that. The partisan divide has already played out. So the, the people are going to Fox that are going to MSN, NBC, they're already going there. And even right. if it's if it's lukewarm, good television, they'll still watch it. Um, but yeah, I that mean, makes sense. The uh, Tucker, Tucker Carlson has already been filling in for him. And right. he's already yeah. taken the top spot again without yeah. any sort of, like, I think it... Ratings-wise? Ratings-wise. He had, uh, what was it? It was between um, Anderson Cooper and whatever schmuck they have on MSNBC, who was at the same uh, same time slot. Both of their Rachel audiences, Maddow. No, it wasn't Rachel Maddow. Um, their two audiences were less uh, were uh, combined were less than his audience on his first night. Mm. So, well, that, that's where I mean that's why I think you're the that's the other part of yeah what Joe's saying is that Fox. Like, yeah, Fox has a viewership, right? People are going to tune into Fox. There's there's a group of people that are going to tune into Fox News at nine o'clock every night or whatever, regardless of who's on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Bill O'Reilly might draw more people than Tucker Carlson, but I, I, does he draw millions of dollars worth more than Tucker Carlson? I don't know. I mean, you figure between the show and his appearances and the books, like he's he's a commodity within himself. I like I don't necessarily. Granted, it probably won't be enough to make up for his massive payout, but that's their fuck up. Well, he but, and, uh, and O'Reilly started this, right? So you need a guy like O'Reilly at the beginning to pull people in, and now they've got the people. So yeah. now they can bring in Tucker Carlson. Right. His fuck boat. it, we'll do it live. Right, right. Yeah. His, his boat. Okay, I mean we. We we should say Bill O'Reilly's a total ass. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a dick, right? Like yeah. he deserves this. Yeah. He, he doesn't deserve the twenty five million dollar payout, but I'm not sad to see him go by any means. <laughs> the the side stories that keep eking out about him are just awful. Not I mean, chocolate, right? It is you know it is terrible. So no, but it it, it makes me wonder. Could Fox have just said save the money and said like 
done. You're fired. I mean, if, if I ESPN can fire 100 people, can't they fire O'Reilly? I, I don't know. Those contracts, man, they're... And I, I guarantee his was ironclad. Yeah. He gets the good lawyers. Well, obviously. Yeah. I'm pretty... I'm pretty sure your tenure contract has like an ironclad $25 million buyout in it, right, Bill? Oh, I, I made sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why we're doing that's why we're doing the podcast, Bill. <laughs> so, and this is the other theory that I kind of heard. So, with the the ascent of of Trump and the ascendance of the Republican Party into power and their you know pretty much direct control over everything, did they? And, and, and I mean, the ratings don't necessarily um, evince this, but do you think there's any merit to the idea that, you know, they don't, they don't have the need to be this, you know, abrasive kind of, you know, counterculture media outlet as, as they did prior to the election? I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to do good interesting television when you're on the same side as the people in power i mean I, you know i think the daily show got lousy when you got yeah. obama in office because when you're saying okay we're not gonna really say anything bad about the president you right. know what's the point i mean that was the whole point of the show and so if your idea is to go on and criticize everybody in government and now there's the people who support you again what's the point right when did when did fox news really explode was it was it did they go back as far as Clinton, or was in my mind they really grew under the, when Bush was president? Yeah, that's the only but, time I really yeah. remember it. Um, I think they really started to, to take off uh, after the election controversy in two thousand, and then but then it went up to another level after nine eleven. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. It, all I, I remember MSNBC coverage of nine eleven. I don't remember a lot of Fox News coverage, but. Um, it's a, which was probably it's the last time anybody watched You and three other people remember MSNBC coverage. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic where Fox, I mean, I, I don't, I don't imagine that like diehard Fox News supporters were upset about, um, like, I, I don't know that they were up in arms calling for Bill O'Reilly to be fired. Right. So, uh, it, it's, it's a weird, like, it's kind of interesting to see. I guess it's because of advertisers pulling out is yeah, what ultimately sure. did it. But that, I mean, that's again like, I I don't know. I'm, I, that it's it's interesting to see how those dynamics play out. It's a little surprising but that it, it would have this effect in some ways. But yeah. but I'm sure Fox is thinking if advertisers are pulling out, like Joe said, you can find somebody else, put him in there, Tucker Carlson, whoever it is, and you can still you get those advertisers back. You make your money. You call it a day. And I, I do wonder whether Fox is feeling any pressure from Breitbart, right? So they're they're pushing from the other side, mm -hmm. and so does Fox want to now? They're now at a place where they could redefine their identity as distinct from. And I don't know if they will. I mean, I'm sure the market will dictate where they go, but they could go further to the right. They could moderate. I mean, uh, there's there's space now for them to rethink who they want to be as a network. Yeah, and I I think there's some. There's some merit to the idea that they would do that. Like they're they're so scandal ridden right now, regardless of what yeah. whether it's true or not. There's a, a severe yeah. pall over the whole thing. But at the same time, are you really gonna try and shake that hornet's nest and and become, you know, possibly something closer to a mainstream media outlet? 
it's it's hard to do because you want that space in this partisan world, right? You want that's that's that sells. You know, people want that. Yeah, well, especially it, when when they've made their name by critiquing mainstream media, right? I yeah. mean, it's like that we they they have intentionally sort of taken a different approach. But if you're thinking well, four years of a Trump administration, that's different than eight years of an Obama administration, right? And it's it's much more difficult. I mean, you know, you could get everybody in the Republican Party together and say, yeah, we don't like what Obama's doing. You know, and if that's that's all you have to get them to agree on, that's simple. But, you know, even during the election, you know, it was very clear that, you know, say like somebody like a Charles Krauthammer, right, extremely unpopular with Trump supporters, right, because he criticized Trump, you know, and that that was just verboten. You could, I, there's another German word for you. Um, you, know, you couldn't do that. Um, he was obviously, you know, too far to the left, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think if you try to to shape yourself, there's a very good chance you end up losing some significant part of your audience, and maybe that's just you're just bound to do that anyway because, you know, they're going to be kind of more, you know, movement conservatives, more traditional conservatives who are going to agree with Trump sometimes, disagree with Trump sometimes, and. For the true Trump supporter, you know, if you're not completely with them, then you're against him. Yeah. Trump did, it seems like, cause a little bit of an identity crisis at Fox, and that you know whether he, for a for a station that is pretty clearly aligned with the Republican Party, like the and Trump being non typical Republican, there were there were, it seemed like some real back and forth with some hosts who were pro Trump, others who were against, him. and Fox News even was against Trump early on in the primaries right and then sort of came around in the end and yeah i mean it's it's um well yeah and on the flip side you think about somebody like lawrence o'donnell whose whole career now is on hating trump mm, and that right. guy's got he's got four years and uh, he doesn't talk about anything other than trump mm. you know that's all it is and he's been going back on that so he can he can build an audience on that but which can we also say that this is what is destroying America? Oh, right? there's like, no question. No question. Awful. Yeah. This yeah. is terrible, right? On like on both sides, right? right. This yeah. just total. It's... Sure. No, I mean, yeah. I, you know, as many things that you know that Trump has done that I don't necessarily agree with, you know, the reaction to him has been so extreme that you know it it just it gets laughable at times. Yeah. You know that it's like okay. It's almost always laughable. Yes. I, this is probably bad policy. It doesn't make it Hitler. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the extreme, I, I think that's the, the extremism, I don't think it's fully driven by this 24-hour news media, but I think it's largely driven by it, right? Like, I mean, this is like on, on it's the same thing, the hatred of Trump, the hatred of, of Obama, right? You got to fill 24 hours a day of news stories. And, yeah. and because of that, it's, a very small percentage of it becomes news and a lot of it becomes talking and you're trying to get people to tune in. And so you're telling them what they want to hear. And it, it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I think back to like when, when our like social fabric really started eroding. And I think back to like the, the dawn of 24 hour news, right? Mm -hmm. CNN. And then eventually it expands into these other, into Fox and MSNBC as well. But I like, it's just, I think it's just on the, on the balance, largely, really bad it's terrible yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well that and the social media i mean I, I used to talk in my classes about social media being the choir preaching to the choir 
And now I tell them it's multiple choirs screaming at each other about how stupid choirs are. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, they, they are the worst by far. Um, I, it, it'll be interesting to see, and kind of going back to the, the identity crisis thing, O'Reilly has already announced that he's starting his podcast, I believe, within the next month or so, correct? If he steals yeah. listeners yeah. from us, yeah. I'll be pissed. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's going down. Yeah. It's not going to compare. Come on. That's no, that's right. <laughs> uh, we um, can all agree that it won't compare. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just start attacking him every right. day to see if we can get some kind of traction from that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it'll it'll... It'll be interesting to see if that affects viewership at, at Fox, if he becomes like another Alex Jones personality or, or something like that. Alex so. Jones is in some trouble. That guy. Well, he's only a character. You can't, I mean, that's not him. Well, a court will decide whether he's a character or not, but yeah. um, that's been entertaining as well. Yes, it has. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for another yeah. time, I think. Um, final thoughts, guys? Any Anything? I it, hope I hope we're around next week and there's not a nuclear war with North Korea. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, I want it. I, it's strange. Despite all the stuff we've talked about, it it seems like a like a somewhat kind of boring week to me. I was bored. Um, again, I, I take the blame for that. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean this podcast. I mean the the stuff the stories that were like the stuff that was happening in the last seven days or whatever. But it feels like in the next kind of two weeks, there's going to be a hell of a lot that occurs, right? Yeah. Because as, as we're coming up on the 100 days, all of these these sort of legislative pushes, the, we're going to have the French election, we're going to kill, uh, you know, all of the North Korean leadership. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Yay. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Yay. Uh, well, I, I, we need to go. But to circle back, I do think some of this is that the Trump administration, I'm, I'm not going to use the word learning because I don't think that's occurring. They're becoming but, self-aware. We yeah, already yeah. this. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's different. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's different. <laughs> Joe, anything else from you? No, I mean, I would just say on top of that, I mean, I think that, that you know, especially when you think about all the kind of personnel changes, whether in, in fact or just in terms of influence, you know, that it kind of fits with this idea that there's a lot of trial and error going on and that some of the rough edges are kind of getting worn off, you know, and it's not probably never going to be a purely traditional presidency, but, you know, it's not, I don't think it's going to end up quite the departure from that that it might have looked on day one. Yeah, man. Solid. <laughs> I agree. That's going to close, Joe. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to deal with this mess next week um and apparently the music isn't gonna work um that's cheers oh that's why because i had it muted like yeah. an idiot um yeah i guess we'll uh we'll oh we have a we have a guest next week right yes we do mary nasset mm -hmm. uh former north central college student uh yes worked for Rahm Emanuel and barack obama so uh somebody with uh feet on the ground experience so mm -hmm. it should be good yes yeah. we will uh we will talk to you guys about that that battle next week that'll be fun mary's one of my my very favorite people yeah so um thanks guys thanks joe thanks joe right. cheers yeah 